God is good, and all the time, you know, as we were uh, singing that song, it made me think that uh, I wonder if we really understand and really appreciate how great God is. You know, I remember when I was uh, just turned 18 years old, and uh, my parents dropped us off at Bible college, and they drove off. It's like freedom, finally, you know. And uh, I realized during those four years that I was in college that my parents apparently got a lot smarter during those four years. I had a whole new perspective of what they did for me. Did you guys ever experience that? Maybe for some of you, you went into the military, and in those few years, you're like, man, mom and dad were way smarter than I remember when I first went in. And we have this new perspective, and we think about how great, uh, how much our parents did for us that we just didn't appreciate. And as we were singing that song this morning, I, that's the thought that came to mind, is I think sometimes we, we view God that way as well. That we just don't stop and appreciate all the goodness of God and the greatness of God and all God has done for us. We're blessed, aren't we? And, and the fact that God loves us. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to close your eyes for a moment this morning. Okay, close your eyes for a moment. And here's what I want you to do. I want you just to, to go in your mind right now and think about the biggest challenge you are facing right now. What's the biggest stress in your life right now? What's the biggest emotional drain on you right now? Maybe it's, it's finances. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's a relationship that you're in. What is the biggest stress and challenge you are facing right now in your life? Maybe it's a phase or a new stage of life that you're about to enter. You, you just graduated college and, oh my gosh, I've got to be an adult now. What, what is this weighing on you right now. And I want you to think for a moment, what if, what would change emotionally? How would your thoughts change? How would your actions change? If you believed that God is in control. What if you believe the real God is good? What if you believed, like with all of who you are, that you believe that the real God is holy? What if you believed the real God is wise? How would it impact your emotions, your actions, and your thoughts about this one thing in your life right now that has you stressed? You see, what we view about God and how we picture God to be is going to have the biggest impact on our emotions, our thoughts, and our actions. That's why as you think about this challenge you're facing right now, the words of A.W. Tozer that say what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let's pray. God, this morning, I, I pray that you would allow us to have a clearer image of who you are. That we would have a clearer understanding of all you do. 
Lord, as we, we pause for a moment and we think about the stress in our life, the obstacles or the, the challenges that we face right now, Lord, would, would you help us to really, really believe that the real God is good. The real God is sovereign. The real God is holy. And may we understand a little more today that the real God is wise. It's in the precious and powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So as I read that statement, we've read this statement every week. We've gone through this series. What A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because you see, how you view God is going to impact your emotions, your actions, and your thoughts. So what if this morning, you walked away from this morning, what if this morning, right now in this moment, you really just took a deep breath and you thought, whatever that challenge, whatever that is you're facing right now, what if you just simply believed God is good? What if you believe that God is in control? What if you really believe that God is wise? What would that mean? How would that change? How would it impact our thoughts, our actions, and our emotions? A few weeks ago, we, if you remember, a few weeks ago, we, we uh, got the, the seesaw up here or the teeter-totter. Again, how many of you say teeter-totter? How many of you say seesaw? I was just hoping it would change because I, I say teeter-totter and, and seesaw one. But when, when we talked about, let me just say for a second about that. You guys really hurt my feelings about that illustration. Can I tell you why? In fact, I think you hurt me and Dave's feelings both, right, Dave? Because uh, how, I don't know how many people I talked to. So if you weren't here that week, go back online, watch the series on the sovereignty of God, the message. Uh, Dave and I, Pastor Dave and I, uh, we, we got on a, a seesaw and we went back and forth and we were just talking about the sovereignty of God uh, against the, 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 the responsibility of man and how those balance and having a healthy balance on that. And, and the biggest thing that all of you guys said to me over the next week was, I cannot believe that Dave weighed more than, than you. <laughs> and Dave was depressed because he did weigh more than me. And I'm like, what do I look like then? I, I don't know. Anyways, that's a, beside the point. When we talked about the sovereignty of God, remember when we talked about Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul was talking about this the balance between the free will of man and the sovereignty of God. And he ended by saying this, and this will kind of help as we talk about the wisdom of God today. When we talk about bringing a clear image of who God is, the truth is we all have a distorted image and we're never going to have a completely clear picture of who God is and all that God entails until we get to heaven. And that's what we have to understand, that we don't have the capacity to comprehend all of who God is. That's what Romans 11 verse 33 says. Oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. That's what we're going to talk about, the wisdom of God. The depths of his wisdom and his knowledge, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. In other words, we're going to have a clearer picture of who God is. We walk through this series, but we're not going to have a perfect picture of who God is until we see him. Verse 34 then says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to, to him all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And so when we think about unpacking this morning the wisdom of God, 
then we have to understand we're never going to completely get our brains around it. Okay? He's just bigger than us. If you, could, if you could explain everything about who God is, then he would cease to be God. Okay? Now, on your bulletin this morning, there's a couple quotes. And I want to read the second quote first. Because it seems like the first quote really is an expounded version of the, first, uh, the second quote. So the second quote is by this German philosopher named Burkhoff. And it says this. this is, so this is just kind of us trying to define what wisdom is as we unpack the wisdom of God. It says that it's the attribute of God where he produces the best possible results by the best possible means. That's unpacking the wisdom of God. Now, if you look up at the first quote there on your bulletin, it says the wisdom of God tells us that God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. In other words, God is working to, to accomplish his will, his purpose, and he's going to use the best possible means to accomplish the best possible outcome for the most possible people. Okay, that's a lot to unpack, but just shake your head if you're tracking with me a little bit, okay? Just shake your head either way, so I'll think you are. Let, let me give you another definition. It says here, the ability to judge rightly and then to follow the soundest course of action. All right. So again, wisdom involves having knowledge and then being able to apply that knowledge in the right course of action. Then he goes on to say the ability to see the big picture and to make good decisions based on knowledge. Okay. And then this, the root word of wisdom really comes down to like two words that, that we have to understand in order to kind of best we can wrap our brain around the wisdom of God. And those two words are to see and to know. See and know. And when we understand who God is, we understand that God sees all and God knows all. So if wisdom, understanding of wisdom means that it's about seeing and about knowledge and God sees all and knows all, then really God's the only one qualified to have all wisdom because we don't see all and we don't know all. Let me illustrate this for you for a moment. A few years back uh, when our son was a senior in high school, okay, and he was a, a typical senior in high school uh, that didn't really want to take all the classes if he didn't have to. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, praise God. He just like two weeks ago graduated from college, so we're past those, right? But in his senior year of college, as he was uh, kind of weighing out options, where our senior year of high school students weighing out where I'm going to college, we're talking about, you know, football scholarships and, and academic scholarships and how do those, you know, how can you stack all that information. And about two weeks into his senior year, we, we get information and, and some of the parents are just like freaking out that the Kansas has passed a new a requirement that if you don't have a chemistry credit, then you can't get into a Kansas State school. Well, in, in, in the town we were in that time in Kansas, the chemistry, uh, it's just a whole new ball game, right? The, the professor there has been like 40 years. He didn't like the textbook, so he wrote his own textbook. I mean, it was just like a college-level course that most people tried to avoid unless they had to. So two weeks into senior year, we have information that he's not going to be able to get into a state school unless he takes this class. 
So he's so excited now to take this class. So we pull these strings, and there's four or five or six of these guys that get into this class because they're the same way. They're trying to avoid this class. They get into this class. And, and so gets into the class, and um, we'll, we'll just praise God. He actually passed it, okay? <laughs> barely, okay? And, and I did ask for permission to tell this story this morning. Uh, but he barely passes a class. At the end of the semester, you know what we find out? Yeah, he, that wasn't required. Like, where'd you get your information, lady? That's what I wanted to say. Not to my wife, the other lady, all right? Make sure I clarify that. So we make a decision based on the information we had that turns out we didn't have all the information and it wasn't the right decision. Because in fact, because of this D, a D in class, it had a big impact on his overall GPA and he lost thousands of dollars in scholarships because of this one class. Praise God, right? So we can make wise, what we think are wise decisions based on limited knowledge and limited perspective. So fast forward a few years from that time, we move back to Texas. Our daughter is, is a junior in high school, about to enter junior year, and she's dead set that she is going to take the cosmet cosmetology to, you know, plan a path through Burleson High School. So I've emailed, I've called ahead of time. Yes, everything's great. We're going to, this is going to work out. No problem. Show up the day before school to get all that, you know, finalized. And the lady says, oh, I'm sorry, it's full. The program is not available for her. And both, I'm standing up, and my wife and my daughter are sitting there, and both give me, you know, like the look, and like I'm supposed to do something about it. And you know, as a parent, you ever have that rise up in you? A holy righteousness of God? Like righteous anger? Raise your hand if you've experienced that. We're going to call it righteous anger, okay? So I feel that inside of me. And you, and, you know what the, and you know what God told me in that moment? He's like whispered into my ear. Remember chemistry? <laughs> oh. And that spirit of righteous anger just kind of settled. And I said, nothing. And guess what? It was the wisest possible decision that we could make at that moment. I think, thank you, God. But why do I tell you that? Because understanding that we have limited perspective, we have limited knowledge, but the God we serve doesn't have limited perspective and doesn't have limited knowledge. God sees all, God knows all, and because he sees all and knows all, he's the only one qualified to have all wisdom. What if, what if that challenge you thought of this morning what if you just settled and said, God, you're good, you're in control, and you're wise. And I'm not going to say what I'm thinking about saying because you told me this class was available. I'm just going to trust. How much would your life change? Well, let's think about those three things we've been talking about for the last few weeks. That how I view God is going to have a huge impact on my emotions, on my thoughts, and on my actions. 
James gives us a, a, a kind of a description of what wisdom is and about God's wisdom. James 3, verse 17. And we're just going to read this real, real quickly and then we'll get on through our outline. But here's this kind of understanding of the wisdom of God. It says in verse 17, but the wisdom, excuse me, but the wisdom that is from above or the wisdom of God, it's first, what does it say? It's first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Isn't that a great definition of the wisdom of God? I mean, think about pure and peaceable, gentle, will yield, mercy, good fruits. It's not partial without hypocrisy, the wisdom of God. Let me give you another illustration before we get into this outline. Now, I've heard this, I read this story a long time ago, and it's, it's a made-up story. Uh, and then Ben and I were talking about it uh, earlier this week, and he's like, I think I heard about that in philosophy class. So I'm sure some of you have heard this description. So there, there was a guy that was, you know, his one job was to, to, to hear the train coming, to switch the, the switcher so the train would go on the right track so as the trains would not collide, okay? And as he's manning his post, doing his job, he looks down below, his, his young son is on the tracks, his son gets stuck on the tracks, he's yelling to his son, but there's a train coming and he has a choice to make. There's no way he's going to get to his son in time. And if he leaves it like it's supposed to be, this train is now going to, to hit his son. However, he does have a choice. He can switch the tracks, although it's really too late to do this. And what's going to happen if he switches the tracks is his son's going to live, but the train is going to be derailed and probably every one of the passengers in this train are going to die. So let's just give it a number. There's 400 people in the train. And he has a decision to make. What's the wisest possible decision that this father could make in this moment? It comes down to 400 lives to one life. Now, we're not asking what you would do in that situation. Let's just think for a moment. What's the wisest choice that this train operator could make? I think most of us would agree with probably a little hurt in our hearts that the wisest thing for this guy to do is to save the 400. But here's what I want to propose to you this morning. It's impossible for us in the room to know what the wisest decision is because we have a limited perspective and limited knowledge. What if the boy on the track who the, the dad has to make the decision about what if he is the one who's, a, you know, as an adult, is going to come up with the cause, the, the cure for cancer? What if that boy is the next greatest world evangelist and thousands upon thousands of people are going to get saved because of this one boy's life? Would any of us in the room know that about the situation? Who would know that? God would. So, so let's go back to that definition that's on your paper, the top one. The wisdom of God tells us that God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. If wisdom involves seeing and knowing, then we have to trust 
that God, who is good, who is sovereign and has all wisdom, is working on my behalf. That he's going to bring all things for good. Wouldn't this change your life? Wouldn't this change your thoughts and your actions and your emotions if you could really just rest in the reality that God is who he says he is and the real God cares for you? The real God is in control. The real God has all wisdom and he never, listen, he never makes a mistake. In Matthew, it talks about this. It says, if you then, being evil, Matthew 7, 11, if you know how evil, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Like by nature as parents, we want what's best for our kids. Sometimes what, what we think is best for our kids doesn't turn out to be what's best for our kids because we have limited knowledge and limited perspective. All right, so let's walk through this outline as we think about the wisdom of God revealed to us. How, how does God reveal his wisdom? I, I think one of the greatest ways that God has revealed his wisdom to us is through creation. Just go out and look at the stars. You know, some of you are way smarter than me, and, and you know a lot more about, uh, about our, our solar system. And if, if one little thing would change that, you know, half of us, half the earth would be frozen, half the earth would burn up. And, and you think about uh, our, our bodies. I mean, think about it for a moment. You, you cut your arm, and you bleed, right? And somehow... Within a few minutes, maybe a few seconds for some of us, that, that seals up and the blood stops. Isn't that pretty amazing? And our bodies, our solar system, go out and look at the stars. That, that's what the psalmist said in Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Psalms 104, 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom. You have made them all. The earth is full of your possession. So he reveals his wisdom through creation. Number two there on your outline, through providence. We read this verse a few weeks ago, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. It's on the screen. And it says, but as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is to this day to save many people alive. Again, when Joseph was in prison, when Joseph was thrown in into the pit and sold into slavery, he didn't see. He had limited knowledge, limited perspective. But you know what Joseph did? You know what Joseph chose to do? Joseph chose that in his limited knowledge and his limited perspective to say, I believe that God is good, that God is in control, that God has all wisdom, and he somehow, some way, is going to bring it out for good. Is that easy to do for anybody in here? It's not easy for me. As Ben was talking about in Isaiah, we read that verse. It's funny that he should mention that it's this coffee cup verse. Because as soon as we started reading that verse, my mind went back to high school. And I remember having a shirt in high school that was bright, bright green. Back in the, in the 80s, you know, when everything was bright, bright green. And, and that's kind of coming back, which is weird. But anyways, and, and it had that verse on it. And, and the reason we had that verse on our t-shirts was we were, as a youth group, we were trying to raise money. And we were riding like 25 miles on our bikes or something like that. And like this verse was going to carry us to the finish line, right? When life is difficult, go back in your mind that challenge you're facing right now. Joseph was in the pit. Joseph was in prison and he chose 
to trust that God was working in spite of him seeing it. Romans 8.28, a lot of us know that verse. To me, it's just the New Testament version of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. That God is working all things for good. To those who are called, to those who love him. That's a verse, that's a promise for believers. That as we follow and as we love God, God's going to work things out. But, But let me give you two quotes that I want us to think about. It says this, Hope is not knowing all things will work for my good, but knowing the God who works all things for my good. So listen, what does that mean? That means my hope is not that everything is going to be good in my life. My hope is not in things. My hope is not in circumstances. My hope is not in good outcomes. My hope is in God. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is in Christ. Not in that he's going to bring good things. Another quote that's pretty similar says this, Hope is not knowing what God will bring. Hope is knowing what good God will bring. Hope is knowing the God who will bring good, even if we never see it. Here's that, that's an important add-on to that rest of that. Even if we never see it. Because here, here's just the truth of life. Sometimes in our life, things happen that we'll never understand why. You know, when bad things happen, it's easy for, for all of us as believers to quote, to quote Romans 8.28 to someone. Well, God's going to bring good out of this. And he will. That's his promise. But we may never see it. We may never know it. The good that God's bringing out of that may be a generation away. So my hope is not in the good that God will bring. My hope is in a good God. There's a big difference. Because if your hope is in the good things that God will bring, when life isn't exactly what you hoped it would be, then you've lost what? Hope. My hope is in God, not in the good things. All right, so he, he reveals his wisdom through creation, through providence, the next one through redemption. So let me explain this. The, the word redemption literally means to buy back. It, it refers to the wise process God used to reestablish a relationship with part of creation that sold itself into slavery. That would be you and me. In other words, when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden and said that they were perfect, they were in innocence, and they had a free will. They could choose to obey, they could choose to disobey. And God said, everything's yours, eat of everything except this one tree. Don't eat of this one tree. They chose to eat of the one tree. Because they chose to eat of the one tree, sin entered into the world. And because sin entered into the world, death entered by sin. Death being that we are now separated from God. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they now broke the fellowship, they broke the relationship that they had between God, who is holy, as we talked about last week. Now they are in sin. And here's what you need to understand. God was not surprised by that. You, you know, the other day we, we uh, went and watched the movie Endgame. Okay? I want to give you some spoiler alert. No, I'm not going to give you uh, that. But if you haven't seen it by now, it's your own fault. But like 10 minutes into the movie when like this major event takes place. And I looked over to my wife and I said, I didn't see that coming. Are you, got, you that have watched it, shake your head, you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to look over here. 
Do you know what? When Adam and Eve took the fruit and ate it, God didn't look over to Jesus and say, wow, didn't see that coming. In fact, we read this verse two weeks ago in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says this, but when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when the, when, when the time was right that had already been planned, God sent forth his, his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Here's another great verse, 1 Peter 1, 18. 1 Peter 1, 18 says this, Knowing that you were not redeemed by corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers. Again, we weren't bought or we weren't redeemed. We weren't brought back into fellowship as sinners by gold or silver or traditions of men. But verse 19, what, what were we bought back with? How are we brought back into fellowship with God? Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And here in verse 20, look what it says. And it's talking about Jesus. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God reveals his wisdom to us in the, real, in, in the understanding of redemption that he had a plan. He knew. He knew Adam and Eve were going to mess up, and he knew that we were going to need to be bought back and brought into fellowship with him. This verse, 1 Peter 1.20, let, let me read it for you in another, uh, another translation. It says, God chose him as your ransom. So God chose Jesus as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. You see, God has revealed his wisdom through creation, through his providence, and through redemption. So how does that apply to us? How does the wisdom of God apply to us? We'll look at your outline and we'll, we'll start filling these blanks in this morning. Number one, we must learn to live wisely. We must learn to live wisely. And that's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand that what the will of the Lord is. In other words, last week we talked about justification and sanctification and glorification. And justification is this process of me becoming more like Christ. So when we talk about the word, we just talked about redemption. If we've come to Christ... He bought us back through the blood of Christ. And if we place our faith in Jesus, we now have a relationship with him. And our goal as a follower of Jesus is to become more like Christ. In other words, if God's word says I should live this way, guess what? I should live this way. If God's word says this is how to, to live a life inside of marriage, that's how I should live. If the Bible says, here's the principles on how to raise my children, then that's how I should raise my children. If, if the Bible says this about my sexuality, then this is how I should live out my sexuality. God has standards. So he wants us to live wisely, which is why he gave us these standards. All right, so there's three sub points on how we could live wisely. A, wise living begins with reverence for God. Wise living begins with reverence for God. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, the fear of God 
and reverence for God. It's not just this idea of, oh, I'm in awe of the greatness of God. That's part of it. That's part of fearing God. But the fear of God also brings with it the understanding of exactly what it says. We should fear God because he's a holy, righteous God. And so if he's given us standards to live by, then out of fear and respect, we should live by him. Uh, The second part, be there. Wise living grows by receiving God's word. Wise living grows by receiving God's word. Turn, if you want, to Psalms chapter 1. Psalms chapter 1. Again, so we're talking about wise living. First is to have a reverence or fear for God. Second is to receive God's word. Psalms 1, verses, we're just going to read the first four verses. says, Psalms 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Again, this is going to fall under that Ephesians passage. that says, walk wise, walk in wisdom. Don't walk like the world. Verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Could you just have a moment of self-evaluation today? If God wants us to walk wisely, and one of the ways we can walk wisely is by being in his word. And what this passage says, so you see this, this digression in verse number one, falling into sin. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the council of Galilee, nor stands in the path of sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. In other words, don't hang out with people who are doing bad things. Okay? But blessed is the man who, who verse 2, delights in the law of the Lord and in his law meditates day and night. So here's, here's the self-reflection this morning. How much time this past week did you spend receiving God's word? How much time did you spend reading God's word this week? Because here's the, here's the harsh reality. If, if this book is not important to you, then go see letter A we just talked about. We need to have reverence for God. If this book is not important to you, then what I would say is God must not be that important to you. If, if this is the standard by which I should live, and this is the, the guide to give me understanding, if this is how God reveals his wisdom and himself to me, then it should be important. Let's keep going. Number th- or Letter C there. So we want to, wise living begins with reverence by growing through receiving God's word, and C, wise living requires asking for it. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So spend some time in prayer. Ask. Talk to the Lord. Ask for wisdom. God, is this what I should do in this situation? So here's a little more self-reflection this morning. How much time do I spend in God's word where he talks to me? And how much time this week have I spent talking to God through prayer? Seeking wisdom, not just seeking the blessings of God. 
It seems real easy to pray to God when we need something, doesn't it? It seems like our prayer list can get really, really long. God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. But when's the last time you just sat and talked with the Lord, had a conversation? God, I I need some wisdom. There's some big decisions in my life. So I want to have reverence. I want to get into his word. I want to ask. Number two on your outline there. Again, this is just under the, applying God's wisdom to our life. This is a big one here. Number two, we must, we must learn to trust our wise God. We must learn to trust our wise God. So we started out this morning with this question. How would your emotions, your thoughts, and your actions change if you truly believed that the real God is good, the real God is sovereign, the real God is holy, and the real God has all wisdom. How would it impact your emotions, your actions, and your thoughts? You see, the real God is good, the real God is sovereign, the real God is holy, and the real God is wise. We can trust that he's actively working to bring about the best possible results by the best possible means, and then to make you and me more like his son. So it comes down to these two questions, really. Are are you living wisely? Are you in the word? Are you in prayer? And are you trusting God? I want to close your eyes for a moment again. I'm going to ask uh, Ben and the team to get ready as they're going to lead us in worship again. And, and I want you to go back in your mind as you started out this morning. What's that one thing in your life that has you stressed out? What's that one thing in your life this morning that's got you really, really upset? And let me ask you the question again. What if, what if this morning you believed that God really is who he says he is? What if you believe that God is in control? What if you believe that God is sovereign, that God is good, that God is holy, and that God is wise? Could it maybe just allow you this morning to what Philippians 4 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with thanksgiving, make your request known unto him. I want to ask this morning as your eyes are closed, would, would, would you guys be honest enough this morning to say, John, there is something right now in my life that just is, man, it is a barrier, it's a challenge. It's a struggle, it's a stress, whatever, whatever adjective you want to throw in there. And, 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 and I'm, really trying, I'm really trying to trust that God is good and God is in control and God is wise. If that's you this morning, would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just put your hand up for a moment. I, man, there is something that is just wrecking me right now. And I'm trying. Just leave your hand up for a moment as I pray. God, we... We ask this morning for these that had their hand raised. Lord, I pray that even in this moment as their hand is raised, Lord, that it would be a sign and a symbol of surrender. 
the Lord, whatever that is in their life that has, has got them stressed out, that they would surrender it to your control. They would surrender to the truth that you are good and that you are wise and that you're working on their behalf. Help them trust you. You may put your hands down. I want to ask this morning. We talked about redemption. Redemption is that Jesus died for your sins. And he's ready to forgive you, but it's a choice you have to make that you're going to, by faith, believe that Jesus died for your sins and that you're going to surrender your life to him. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, John, you know, I've never done that. I've never surrendered my life to him. But I want to do that today. If that's you this morning, would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just put your hand up. I want to pray for you. Just put it up. Put it up kind of high so I can see. Just put your hand up right now this morning. John, I, I want to give my life to Christ today. Thank you. What I'm going to encourage you to do today, in a moment we're going to stand. In a moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to sing a familiar song. And I, I trust this morning as you sing this song that, that, that as you sing it, it's a de declaration this morning of your faith. That I'm going to believe that God is good even when I don't see it. But, but if you want to make a decision to give your life to Christ today, in a moment when we stand, there's going to be several of us, men and women, we're going to be stand facing you. And I would invite you to come down and, and let us know that you would like to give your life to Christ. For those of you that raised your hand this morning, that, that there's some stress in your life right now, there's some anxiety, there's some anxiousness, I'm going to encourage you to walk forward this morning. If you would like us to pray with you, we'll be glad to do that. Just walk up to us, shake our hand, and we'll pray with you. If you want to pray alone, just come and kneel. Come and sit on the front row. We're not going to interrupt you. But we want to pray with you. Maybe you made a decision this week to follow Jesus. I would encourage you to walk down and tell us today. Some I know are prepared to... Join our church. I would encourage you in a moment we stand just to walk forward. We'll pray with you. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the declaration of this song we're about to sing. Lord, that even when life is difficult, we can sing, we can say, we can declare. It is well with our soul because we serve a good, good God. As we're in the spirit of worship, would you stand with me this morning? And let's sing this song together this morning just as a prayer to God and as, as I already stated, a declaration that even though life sometimes is a struggle, God is good.